Welcome to Audio Mission for March 2014. This is Trevor Smith introducing more of CMS's remarkable mission partners sharing Jesus and changing lives around the world. Anne-Marie Wilson is fast becoming one of CMS's more well-known mission partners as she campaigns against female genital mutilation, a previously taboo subject which has suddenly received a great deal of media exposure and government funding. She told Jeremy Woodham about the short but astonishing journey so far of her charity, 28 Too Many. Well, it was quite extraordinary. It started last April in reality with two managers joining me from a, um, on an International Women's Day march where I had a placard and felt a bit like the Pied Piper and two people joined me, one giving up a corporate career as an HR director in the city and one giving up a corporate law career and both became volunteers from that day. 18 months on, we've now recruited a third manager who used to be my boss in an FGM charity and there's a lot more about running charities than I do. But in addition to those three managers, we've got 27 volunteers, all who give their time, 16 of which who are researchers, often working all over the world. So we've got a couple who are based in Mali now researching FGM for us permanently as mission partners. And we've got somebody who's been working in Kenya and Tanzania for the last two years for us. And we've also got our first consultant working in Tanzania to get some research for us. So that's very exciting. And we've just done a piece of work for Tear Fund on the role of the church and FGM, which is not a very happy story in as much as the church has actually come out fairly complicit in going along with FGM. So we've just had that report go to a bishop's conference where 100 bishops were somewhat horrified to see that FGM was going on in their communities. And that's in Tanzania, am I right? That's correct, yes. And Tear Fund are going to be doing a community empowerment project now long term in Tanzania to actually have the practice changed and change hearts and minds, which is really what you need to do, change attitudes and behaviours. So that my hope is that um, FGM will end there in the next few years. You've mentioned your research, you've published a few reports now. What's the response been like? Well, we were very excited that in Kenya, our first reporting country, um, a very well-known NGO who does violence against women and men um, wrote to us as soon as our report was out to say thank you so much for helping us show the fragmented nature of FGM and violence against women across Kenya. In fact, it shows there are 157 FGM advocates in Kenya, government, educationists, health practitioners, none of them work together. And in fact, they were quite excited about that and it's been broadcast across Kenya and Destination magazine, which is a big glossy, like the equivalent of Cosmo in Kenya, has actually done a feature and will will feature our work in the autumn. So it's been picked up by national media in Kenya now. In, interestingly, in, in Uganda, our second country report that was out, the UNICEF report that came out recently suggests 1% of Ugandans practice FGM but actually because we've gone into the heart and depths of the difficult to reach, difficult to access um, nomadic people group actually it's 5% which is quite considerable and it shows what happens when a country has almost stopped FGM that it can come up again if people don't actually access the challenging areas as well so I think that's an indication of um, what, what can happen if it's ignored. In Kenya, the story was more positive that actually the results show that 10 years ago it was 38% of women and girls had FGM and now it's 28%, so that's a considerable drop. But we have to make sure that these things continue. FGM as an issue has suddenly uh, 
exploded, it seems, over the last few months. There was even a storyline in Casualty about That's it. Right. What's your uh, response to that? Well, we, you know, we, we respond and, and go along with it as well, really. I was sitting on Twitter, the whole of those double casualty episodes, and we did a thunderclap campaign with Twitter over the summer to help um, bring people's attention to the FGM cutting season, which is often the long summer holidays in Britain and in other diaspora countries where girls are vulnerable in the long holidays. I think it's just extraordinary that when I started and first met FGM in 2005, nobody knew what it stood for, no one was prepared to talk about it, least of all the church. But now um, we're even thinking about how we can take this issue to the Synod and how I talk about this with my bishops and my church churches I go and talk at. And they're really quite comfortable for me to come and do a talk on this. And that's a massive change. I think there are ways you can share about FGM that are not so horrifying that turn people off. And people can see that their individual contribution can make a difference. We were with VSO yesterday trying, holding a, an event where you could actually lobby your own MP. I've met with my own MP, Theresa Villiers, and talked in detail about FGM and what happens in Barnet and my neighbouring boroughs of Haringey and Brent and actually nobody need feel they can't actually make an impact I think that's all I've done I've just gone with it but now we've got some um, probably 800 or so people follow us on Facebook and 600 or people get our newsletter and all of them engage in some shape or form and I think that's exciting that if you get to that tipping point you will get to a point where actually this practice will end and we're constantly being asked for um, advice. Um, a woman I know in my church, married to the husband I really know in my home group, she contacted us because the child centre she works in, um, a, a woman had called up about FGM and the girl was proven to have had a medical examination. She had had FGM and yet the supervisor at work said, oh, there's nothing you can do about FGM, it's not illegal. And actually that's factually incorrect, it is illegal. So we escalated it with our advice to her manager and they're now going to do training, which either somebody else will do or we will do for them. So we're very keen to educate audiences so that girls both here in Britain and in Africa are safe. Mm. It sounds like 2018 Rennie is really becoming a voice uh, that's being listened to in this debate. I think that's right. I mean, we, we, we've just featured in a Royal College of Obs and Gynae special article on fistula and FGM that's happening in um, a, an African-wide publication coming out in October. We, we featured in The Lancet a couple of months ago. So I think we're being picked up by quality media as well as more um, everyday media. And I think that's the way people are getting behind it. And that's the way um, the Evening Standard and um, Metro have got everyday people and casualty, of course, have got people talking about it. Now it's not taboo. I think it's probably a bit like um, abortion or prostitution or child marriage um, and trafficking. They've become ordinary subjects that people can talk about. And once that happens, then it's a case of the law follows and then prosecutions follow. And I think probably in the next months to come we will see the first prosecutions in Britain for FGM. I know the Director of Public Prosecutions who I talked with on a panel um, in the spring has got five cases and there are people out on bail at the moment so I think once that happens it will send out a very clear message that it's not acceptable to have FGM in Britain and that's a good step forward too. So next up what um, should people be praying about? <laughs> 
prayer's always good. I think that's what keeps us going, really. Our two next reports, Ethiopia and Tanzania, are out. So I think prayer for that would be really good. Um, I've got some health um, issues coming up, so some prayer for good health would be good as well through this season. And just our wide team that are in all sorts of different countries, Senegal, Mali, um, in and out of other parts of Africa. And our next two... Um, countries after these East African ones will be Sierra Leone and Liberia and over in West Africa FGM is quite a taboo subject so prayer for safety and for that would be really good and anyone that wants to follow us they can always get our newsletters or follow us on Facebook or Twitter and daily stories of a little taste of our world are, are always posted and available. Mission partner Anne-Marie Wilson with her prayer requests for the ongoing campaign against female genital mutilation or FGM. Now to South Sudan, where mission partner Ruth Radley works with Across, an indigenous Christian NGO serving the people there. She works in the children's department with colleagues Sam and Rabina. In the light of widespread introduction of the UN document on children's rights, Ruth talked to Naomi Steinberg about workshops they've been leading on both rights and responsibilities from a biblical perspective. We've devised four Bible studies that we begin with, with communities, just to envision them on actually this is the father's heart, you know, for his children. So trying to think on some of the things that we look at. Um, in the development one, we look at Luke 2.52, where Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favour with God and man. And even in Samuel, it says sim similar things about Samuel when he was a young child as well. Um, we look at participation. We, talk, we look in Deuteronomy, you know, your, um, your children, when your children ask you. And so we look at, well, what's the value of children asking questions? Why in scripture does it tell us that children will ask questions? And, and what does that mean to us? And it's an interesting conversation in a culture where children are not encouraged to ask questions. So we also try and be um, culturally sensitive to that and, and so share. For some people, they will be happy and they'll think, oh, no, I can, I can allow my children to do that. Others will feel it's not appropriate. So then we sort of encourage them to give their children opportunities to ask questions so again you know maybe the children don't just ask whenever but that the adults are regularly giving the children a time to ask so we've really looked at those things as well um, in the survival bible study we look at the story of Ishmael who of course was born to Abraham and his maidservant um, after the promise of um, Isaac was made but hadn't been realised and Sarah tried to help the situation along a bit but I'm sure you know the story where Ishmael and Hagar end up um, leaving and Hagar leaves Ishmael under a bush because she can't bear to see him die and the Lord heard the boys cry and it's actually something that culturally is quite similar to some situations that we would see so it's a, it's a Bible study that we look at you know even this child he was as we see it born outside of the plan of God, because we know the plan was for Sarah and Abraham to have a child. However, God graciously incorporated this child, also allowed him to have many descendants, and the Lord heard his cry and has brought him into. So that's sometimes been quite a powerful one. And in protection, we look at Matthew 18 and this, the strong words that Jesus uses, you know, if, if any one of us causes one of these children to sin, it would be better to have a millstone put around his neck and to be drowned. That, to me, does not sound like a better option of anything. So, you know, we look then at scripture, we examine it a bit more, and then we're able to move in more to training and to helping people really understand what this document is, that it's not, it's not a document just to give us whatever we want. There are specific things, and the reason they are there is because, um, you know, we want to see children developing to their full potential, and we, we know that's what God wants. That's why he developed, you know, that's why he creates us you know, to live in relationship with him, to do amazing things with him. 
I think a lot of ways that people have heard about rights is actually over the radio, which is a great medium if you want to reach a lot of people with information can be limiting in that of course there's no discussion element you know and if something is misunderstood or misheard then that's what people will believe and um sam my colleague um got a bit of a telling off in one of the communities he went to um because people had heard about rights over the radio and had deduced that they weren't actually something positive because the children now were doing what they wanted and and there was no understanding that actually our children are still under a parental authority but we have to know how to use that wisely in, in our children, um, in their upbringing. And there was no understanding that rights are about specific things. It's not just whatever we want. We can't just say, it is my right to have this. And the community by the end, you know, they'd very much changed at the beginning of um, the training. We did a statement and one of the statements is, I have the right to do whatever I want. And we asked, we asked the community to stand in and agree or a disagree. And then we facilitate a discussion between the two sides. Um, and at the beginning of one of the trainings, we had 19 people agreeing with rights give us, they allow us to do whatever I want, and only two disagreeing. By the end of the training, we did the same statements, and actually we had 21 people, so all the participants stood in the disagree, because they'd started to understand that, that the reason we have these rights is because we haven't been very good. Globally, I'm not just talking South Sudan, even in England, really ensuring our children have what they need to develop to their full potential. And that understanding had come in and the community actually said to us, you know, if this is your understanding of rights, we can work with this. This is something that's good because we, our children, you know, there are things they need and we want to provide that so that they grow well. But why have you not been to, to train us before? Because now we understand and now we can work with these things. But before, you know, so it's I think we, we feel quite a responsibility in some ways and, and we have quite a passion to really see the balance between rights and responsibilities developed. Um, then I think, you know, we're, we're helping children to grow more like Jesus. It's not just about, well, this will help me, but if I exercise this right, what will it do to this person? Will it hurt or harm them? Well, if it does, it can't be my right, you know. If it's my right, what's my responsibility? And, and we also look at the responsibility of the adults. So, for example, we often take Article 28, which is about children having a right to education. So, well, this is their right. What's the child's responsibility? What's the adult's responsibility? Um, so, you know, paying school fees, making sure a uniform is available, any materials that they need, making sure a child is fed so that when they go to school they're able to, to learn well. Sam and Rabina came back from one of our communities, they'd been out monitoring and they were just sitting and chatting with different participants to find out what had been happening. And we, he actually came back and shared that in this community the adults had been out slashing paths through the school and at this time of year it's the wet season so the grass grows very high and in the morning it's very wet so actually the children can arrive at school quite wet or they don't go until you know the sun has dried the water a bit more and the adults are like no we've realized what well, you know we have to make sure the children can get to school so often the children will be ones slashing but in this case the adults had gone out and they'd slash paths around to make sure the children could actually reach the school as well and it was just such in in one sense such a small thing but actually such a huge um, step to have taken so that yeah that was quite an encouraging moment for us I think somebody actually asked me in South Sudan a few months ago what do you share with when you're home with your churches and I said the opposite of what the media share <laughs> I mean so South Sudan is a new nation so everything is new you know we have a new government we have you know new laws are coming in and and of course it takes time for a nation to settle and yes there are some concerning areas that we need to be praying into but actually Often what we read in the media is that, you know, South Sudan's terrible and it's on the verge of this, that and the other. And, and I'm like, what? That's not, the, you know, I read it and I can't equate it to the place that I'm living. 
Um, because what I see in South Sudan is there are amazing people who are really committed to, to seeing their country develop and really praying and knowing that it's God who's brought us this far and it's God who will continue to lead us on. And So whereas I know that there are areas that are concerning that we need to pray for, actually I really want people to see the other side of South Sudan. You know, there is just amazing people, exciting things happening, seeing the Lord in so many different areas. Just praise God for the way we do see him providing. We've We've changed our mantra in a sense. We realised at the beginning of this year that we have a value that we want to keep strong of actually praising God for what we believe we will see him do, even if we haven't yet seen it. And actually, that's how we're working and we really are seeing him do amazing things. Pray for the nation of South Sudan. You know, they're still early years. We're still a very young country. And pray for wisdom for the government in, in their massive job that they have. But also give thanks for the many, many South Sudanese who are really also working for their communities. Mission partner Ruth Radley encouraging us to pray in faith and thanksgiving for what God will do. In Tanzania, a flagship project for people with disabilities is run by the Diocese of Ruaha in the central town of Oringa. Begun more than 10 years ago by CMS mission partners Andy and Susie Hart, it's now being managed by mission partners Ben and Katie Ray. Ben is a former design and technology teacher and Katie used to run her own design business. They met Sarah Holmes on a recent visit to CMS, and Sarah first asked Katie how they described the core purpose of NEMA Crafts today. NEMA Crafts is about training, empowering and employing people with disabilities. There's a 10% disability rate in, in Oringa itself, which is huge. So the, the, we, we get a lot of people on our, um, at our doors every day asking for work, and we can only employ so many people. So we, um, we've got trainees and we've got employees, but we've also got a, a business scheme that helps um, place people with disabilities in local businesses and helping encourage the local community to take on people with disabilities and, and, and to employ them and for them to show themselves how, how able they are. We've actually had people coming from Germany and the UK who've said what's happening at Neymar Crafts is better than what's happening in Europe. People with disabilities have employment, they have hope and uh, they're being encouraged in their self-esteem just through the work that they're doing. And in fact, we have had, as Katie mentioned, we've had people that have stepped out of Neymar Crafts having had their self-esteem built up by the work that they've been doing uh, and they've got they've got the confidence to go and set up their own businesses whether that be in craft photography uh, bread making all different lots of different businesses um, so there's a through flow of people coming into name of crafts being built up by our training and then going out to set up their own businesses when you first arrived and saw the task in hand if, if I can put it like that what did you, what were your first thoughts about Name of crafts. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we found it a real challenge. Um, and I personally didn't feel like I was capable of doing this enormous cha- challenge. Like, it's just huge with 100 employees and three different businesses and so many, uh, yeah, things going on that um, I didn't feel qualified, but we just knew we were called. So um, we just stuck with it until we actually realised that, oh, God had equipped us and God is continuing to equip us with the right people to help. Yeah. I don't think there's ever quite enough uh, equipping that you can have uh, for going into a role like that, but also working in a, in a country like Tanzania where you don't know what from day to day what's going to happen at any one moment. I mean, we actually had half of our, uh, the house that we we're going to move into burned down 
and uh, also our friend was attacked uh, in her own home and we had to deal with the outfall from that uh, and also I was taken to court by someone I'd never employed and so there were a lot of external issues happening as, as alongside of our uh, challenges at, at Neymar Crafts but we did feel really protected over the first year or so things that would in England be huge challenges just seemed to kind of bounce off us almost and uh, I can only put that down to the prayer and support that we had from home. Can I ask about the actual business or, um, and the model and how it's set up? You've, you've got three different areas. Can you talk me through the three different areas and which one brings in the most um, income? So we've got eight different workshops uh, that produce crafts for the shop and uh, that brings in the most uh, revenue but actually in terms of profitability uh, the cafe is also alongside uh, some of our best uh, performing workshops as well so the cafe really encourages tourists uh, to come in spend time at Neymar enjoy Neymar and it's actually what what Neymar is almost famous for really lovely uh, coffee and, and chocolate cake and uh, the great thing is now is that we actually have a guest house as well um, which is in, in part run by the Mothers Union so it's a joint venture between Neymar Crafts and the Mothers Union um, but it's t- it's staffed also by people with disabilities that is, has been really, really successful uh, over the last couple of years that it's been running. In fact, we're still number one, uh, number one ranking uh, in the number one ranking uh, on TripAdvisor for Iringa. <laughs> <laughs> and what what do you think people like about staying there? And do you get all sorts of travellers? We get all sorts of travellers, yeah. We get um, anything from the top-end people that are going on really expensive safaris all the way through to backpackers that don't want to pay for breakfast and uh, they don't mind sleeping on the floor. But it's really great. And everyone has said that they just love the atmosphere in Neymar Crafts. And that's something that we've asked people to pray for and that's something that we pray for every week, uh, that when tourists come in from loads of different nationalities, that they just sense God's presence there uh, and they sense that they're walking into... Um, something that's reflecting his kingdom and many many people have said there's a peace about the guest house uh, there's a joy around name of crafts that they can't quite put their finger on and that's really why so many people enjoy it so much and they love the cause and they love coming on tours um, given by a, a really great uh, guy called Titus and seeing all of the different workshop areas um, so there's there's a really vibrant uh, lovely feel to the guest house and to name of crafts as a whole and I think people enjoy that but also we do have we are actually very good value for money as well it must be amazing to be working in that kind of environment we're amazingly blessed to work there and it's what makes us get out of bed in the morning actually every morning either Katie or I will open up the back gates and people will either wheel themselves in walk in on their crutches or or just just wheel their bikes in or whatever Uh, but you have to greet it's very Tanzanian culture um, to to greet properly everyone every every morning and you know I just can't imagine it being the same in the UK (laughs) if if someone's coming into work they'd be miserable and and downcast everyone always has smiles on their faces they always ask you how your family is how your your home is and uh, are really really willing to to 
uh, grab your hand and shake your hand in the morning and with a big smile. It's just a real joy to work there. It's not um, an understatement to just yeah say it's a beautiful place and there are beautiful people that we work with every day and it's a privilege. And what's amazing is it really is a family as well because a lot of people that we employ have been rejected by their families or they don't have a family. So their community, their families at Name of Crafts and they all look after one another. So um, the few times that we've had the happy occasion of a of a wedding mm. or a sad sad event of a funeral and um, Ben and I have gone along to those and we have been part of that family mm. and it's a very special moment um, where we are all together and you see we have to close down the whole of Name of Crafts um, mm. when things like that happen um, but that's the Tanzanian culture that they are um, all together we all wear the same things we have the same wraps and we go out as one to this event and it's it's very special. Katie Ray with her husband Ben on the special family atmosphere of Nima Crafts. Let's pray for all involved in that wide-ranging and inspiring work. Our reflection this time is brought to us by Katie Jenkinson, CMS Speaking Engagement Agent. In the book of Jeremiah, God promises hope, restoration and healing to those for whom no one seems to care. But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord, because you are called an outcast, Zion, for whom no one cares. All three mission partners interviewed talk about the restoration and healing that comes when we walk in step with God. The Rays knew that they were called, but felt ill-equipped for the challenge ahead. However, as they have stepped out in faith, God has equipped them and sent them people and resources to enable his work to flourish. Likewise, people have sacrificially given up their time to ensure that Anne-Marie Wilson's campaign to stamp out FGM is publicised and understood more and more widely. This network now stretches worldwide. As Ruth Radley says, our mission partner's work is about expressing the Father's heart enabling people to know more about the love of God and empowering them to share that love with women, children, people with disabilities and those who are not held in high esteem by the societies in which they live. When we are willing to listen to God and obey his command to love one another, then we will see restoration of those whose lives have been broken, transformation in our own attitudes and in the attitudes of society around us. Prayer is the ultimate demonstration of our faith and trust in God, an admission of our weakness in the face of challenges that we feel unable to meet. But our God is a mighty God who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. As we listen to him, obey him, trust in him and pray to him, we will first believe and then see the plans he has for us and for our world. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Katie Jenkinson bringing this edition of Audio Mission to a close. I'm Trevor Smith and on behalf of CMS People in Mission Everywhere, thank you for your support and thank you for your prayers.